everyone, it's Amy. Uh, I'm just popping in really quickly to hit you with a few small announcements. First announcement is we didn't say the name of the book at any point during this episode, so I am here to tell you that it is Lioness Rampant, the fourth book in the Alana series by Tamara Pierce. Secondly, we are recording an Alana wrap-up episode, so that's going to include two panelists that you haven't heard anything from yet. That's Shelby and Kelly, and we would love it if you sent in any questions you had about the Alana books that we didn't discuss in any of the episodes, or any questions you might have for them specifically, or any questions you have for any of our panelists specifically. And you can do that by engaging with any of our social media. Our email would probably be pretty good for this. That's tortallrecall at gmail.com. You can also go to any of our social media that we list at the end of the show. We would love it if you had those in by February 15th because we are going to record the episode shortly after that and we are not inventing a time machine just to answer your questions. Finally, we talk about some sensitive topics in this episode. At minute 40, we discuss sexual assault in the context of the books. That will be bookended by our opening theme music, so you can skip right through that and we will put the timestamp in the description. We also talk about some light spoilers that I had to listen to for this episode anyway. So that is at about minute 54. And again, it's bookended by music and I will put the timestamp in the description. That's all. Enjoy the show. See ya, Tortellini. Gus is gone. Gus, we missed you. Gus left. Okay, Gus is back. I'm back, sorry. Uh, we did the whole podcast without you. Yeah, we're done now. I, Analyze the whole thing. Oh, oh, wow. It goes so much faster when I'm not here. <laughs> Hello. And welcome to Tortal Recall, the podcast where we reread the Tamara Pierce books and yell about them. Uh, my name is Abby, and my pronouns are she, her. My name is Amy, and my pronouns are she, her. My name is Aurora, and my pronouns are she, her. My name is Gus, and my pronouns are they, them. So guys, we've come out of the darkness into the sun. This book <laughs> is so much better than the last book. <laughs> this book is so much better than all three books before it. Oh, it's so oh, true. It's so much better. I would agree, yeah. I'm so happy. Yeah. yeah, like the last quarter of this book, super good. Yes. Well, except for that one, the very last part. I mean, right. look, there, it has bad points that we will talk about, but, like, I really enjoyed reading this book. Yeah, Amy, I know you've read one other book than the Alana books, so I don't know if you really, like, I, I don't know what your sense of, like, Tamara Pierce's, like, overall writing style is, but this, this is classic. This is the good Yeah, stuff. I mean, I, I have to, like, Gus, I think you were commenting at some point that you can really, like, honestly... Chapter three of this book, there's mm-hmm. a very specific point where Burry and Thayet are introduced, and that's when it becomes Tamara Pierce, I think. You know, that's when she hits mm-hmm. her stride, and you can really tell, you know, yeah. at that exact point, like, oh, this is what Tamara Pierce does. She's there. She made it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Burry and Thayet. Yeah. I love that. I couldn't uh. tell whether it was that the writing actually got better, or if it was just, like, characters I care about. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. Those are both the same thing, sort of. That's fair. True. When they're, like, good writing should make characters that you care about, I think, overall. In most cases. 
Yeah, so so let's get into the segments here. Right, I guess start with First Adventure, our background with this book, uh, which we've established that Amy's is none, zero <laughs> amount. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Aurora and Gus, when did you first read this and when did you most recently read it? I first read this book as like a preteen, so I was probably maybe 12, and I have a terrible thing to admit, but when I was, when I first read it, this was probably my least favorite of the Alana books. <laughs> I mean, I will say that it's more adult. Yeah. You know, you're not following a kid hero. Exactly. I think there was a lot of, you know, like, interesting political things and world building, and I was not a particularly, uh, <laughs> I, as a youth, I, I guess I wasn't as into that. Um, and I think the pacing's a little different in this book. But Definitely. I most recently read it, like, two days ago, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, suffice to say, things have changed. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Gus? Well, I most recently read this book. I finished it six hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> that was so late in the night, because we're recording in the morning, and I'm really sad about that for you. <laughs> Yes, you're a hero. I work late. You're stronger than any of <laughs> you us. You are. You are so strong. But look, it was a fun read. It was a fun read. It was a fun time. It was mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Those last, those last, the last like epilogue or so, which was what I was reading at four in the morning, was. I mean, it was a little more rough to read because it was at four in the morning, which is for you know all that I pretend to be a, a night person, a little bit late. <laughs> four is a little late for most people <laughs> the birds start singing yeah you have to yeah. prepare to be awake like i always make sure i eat a lot of protein and drink a lot of water if i'm gonna be awake at 4 a.m that's Man. a pro tip for all the kids out there that's smart <laughs> i don't do that you have to prep build a sleep bank that's what alana <laughs> would do <laughs> anyway so gus what what was your experience reading this well, like see, as the a reason kid? i hadn't got around to that is i don't really remember i don't have clear memories i do remember that i was like super shocked as a kid that they introduced like a surprise third love interest this late <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it was late for yeah that. and i was like like as a kid i i remember thinking that was really weird and i think i appreciate that more now regardless of what i think of the love interest himself Uh yeah i do think that that when i read this as a kid i was a little more sort of confused by you know because the previous ones excepting the third one which i hadn't read followed much more of a structure of just like she's masquerading as a girl and she's trying to become a knight Mm -hmm. and like that's what she's doing and then this one does introduce a lot of sort of extra stuff that I wasn't sure how to feel about it. Yeah, it's not a school story in the same way the first two are. No. Right, so I think it is a little um, weirder to approach as a kid because it's part of this fairly, you know, middle grade or, like, young YA series, but at this point, Alana's an adult, and she's going around doing adult things and having sexual relationships and stuff, you know. So, right, I, I don't think I was totally sure about how to feel about that as a kid, but I did actually read this book right around the time we discussed Tamara Pierce in our book club, which was mm-hmm. a couple months before we started the podcast, and I really enjoyed it a lot. 
Um, and then I also, you know, rereading it six months after that, I really enjoyed it a lot again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I really liked that it both, like, as you said, introduced these new adult elements, but also brought back things that I thought were, like, dealt with in her childhood, but that mm-hmm. weren't. Uh-huh. Just, like, sort of these lasting repercussions of things that were shown to have been overcome by Alana, and then they come back and they're worse. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just think that was a good move. Yeah, it has some good continuity to it, which makes sense, uh, given that they were originally all one book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the odd thing about that is that since they were all one book, this one seems to stand, I don't know, alone is one book much better, but it does, as a reading experience, at least for me, was far better than the it's other way books. more. Which is odd, since it was originally part of just, like, a big thing. Yeah, no, I mean, I do think it stands alone pretty well. I think you could read, especially, you know, given the exposition at the beginning, I think you could read this book without having read the previous Mm -hmm. books and have it stand alone as just, you know, I mean, at that point, it's basically just adult romantic fantasy, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I really liked the very early exposition that was mostly just like, yes, I have healing magic, and also, here's a list of people who died. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, so before we get into, uh, you know, we're kind of already there, but before we get into more detail, let's do first test, give sort of a general plot summary of this book, try to remember what was in it. So I wrote, I think, three separate plot summaries, all of varying lengths. (laughs) But I can give you all my shortest one if you want to do a slightly more in-depth version. Yeah, go, go for, give us the short one. Great. Okay, so it comes in two parts. Part one, Alana goes to find the Dominion Jewel, making some friends, and friends plus, uh, on the way. (laughs) Part two, Alana defeats and kills her greatest enemy again. Fulfilling her destiny <laughs> of being the most legendary hero of all times. That's my super short summary. The other one is half a page long. Yeah, that basically covers <laughs> it. <laughs> I mean, right, there's a lot more stuff in there, but basically, right, she she goes on a quest to get this jewel, meets some fun people along the way, brings them back to Tortal with her. John is going to be coronated. He's going to become That's king. The one. <laughs> Roger is back and just like there. <laughs> so is her childhood enemy who she beat in a fight and then never came back. Yeah. And does she ever? She never like interacts with him, right? That's all George. No. No. He... Yeah, right. That, that's totally a subplot for her. I mean, she I mean, of... right. She's not involved in that. She indirectly interacts with him. I think he sends some people after her to try to kill her like once. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But that's, that's still related to George. Earlier in the book, Rowan sends right, some just... people to kill her and it's like you know i will tell george that you're dead or whatever because like we're doing this to hurt george which is so right it, it's weird that her childhood co- bully comes back and it's barely related to her at all yeah. <laughs> but anyway then roger's trying to destroy the country or whatever I'm not and, quite sure what his goal know, is everyone has to band together to stop him and she kills him and again. And also Tom is there and then he dies. Tom. 
Tom. I cried. I cried at Tom's first scene, and I didn't even know he was going to die. I just started crying because that's so messed up. Like, he's clearly just withering away because of his hubris, but he never had friends, and he just immediately went out there and isolated himself, and it's so hard to find people to rely on at that point. His sister's the only person he knows. Then he meets a bunch of people who manipulate him into raising Mm -hmm. the dead. And, like, then it turns out that he wasn't even dead. He was trying to get someone to siphon magic out of. So, like, this great thing that he accomplished, he doesn't even know that it wasn't even that big a deal. I'm so upset about it. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Thom. Full disclosure, we did accidentally spoil Roger's return from the dead for Amy, or she spoiled herself. Let's be clear. I thought he was going to come back to life. Give me one reason why I should have expected that reading something about Roger after he had canonically died would be a spoiler. Well, we, I mean, yeah. fair. We have a point. Also, you put it into our chat. You linked it to to all of us. And by you, I mean Grace. Grace, I know you're listening to this. Grace can't defend herself. She's not on this podcast right now. Yeah. I mean, it was inevitable that some spoilers would happen. It was a big one. It was a pretty big one. But there are other big ones that we did not spoil, such as Tom tragically dying, which is horrible. Yeah. Such as the fact that uh, Faithful is a warrior cat. So. Yep. Faithful <laughs> has ascended to Starkland. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Which, like, means that Faithful was a regular cat. I was right. Oh, good. Silence. So I was right. <laughs> Amy, did you notice the part where there was a new constellation in the sky? Yeah, the warrior cats. Starkland. Starkland? Right, he just ascended to Starkland. Anyway, let's stop talking <laughs> about this for thing the moment. A normal thing happens in, with the cats when they die in this series. All cats. <laughs> they all go to the sky. Yep. None of the other cats yep. have died yet. Technically true, None I guess. None of the many other cats that we have not met. I mean, we know nothing about Ali Mukhtab's cats and oh, you're right. where they could end up. That's true. Mm-hmm. Also, I we'll get into this later. They did a lot of, you know, like pairing the spares oh, in this book, like matching up various people and putting them in heterosexual relationships for no real reason. <laughs> they did that to the cat. There's a scene where Faithful oh, goes to meet a lady yeah. cat. Yeah. <laughs> so unnecessary. So Why does everyone have to be heterosexual? None of these characters are believably heterosexual. There was <laughs> no. a point where I thought it could be believable that Alana is heterosexual <laughs> and cisgender. And then I read the third no, book and wrong. then I thought, no, neither no. of those things are true. Like, Tamora Pierce doesn't know, but I know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have a we theory. I have a theory. My, my theory, which yeah. I'm going to I'm going to explore as we continue to read these books. Uh, my very good fan theory is that there's one person in this entire, in all of the, like, Tortal books who is cisgender and heterosexual, and that person is John. Oh, that's true. (laughs) I believe it, yes. Yeah, yeah, I I would get on Mm -hmm. that theory. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see if any other cishets arrive. We'll, (laughs) you know, track the progress. But so far, no sign of any. (laughs) Oh, um, Mother Goddess? Yes. God, the goddess. I feel like she does keep like showing up and being like, time to be heterosexual, Alana. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. She definitely enforces the patriarchy, but uh, you know, as a goddess who represents all women, I feel I, I I struggle to see her as 
cisgender and straight 100%. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a fair yeah, I think as a kid, I wanted to read her as queer, and so I did, and so I'll just keep doing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I read her as queer initially. Right, it's like, as a character, we know that she should be queer, but like, she clearly has not been written that way, and that is a fault mm-hmm. on the part of Tamara Pierce. Yeah. And not mm-hmm. on the part of But us. death of the author, we don't care what right. she does. Yeah. Exactly. In fact, she can't know what we think because there are two rules to this podcast, and one is don't spoil me, and the second is Tamora Pierce can never know. And we will Please not don't tell her. We will not break the second rule like we broke the first rule. Oh gosh, yeah, no. Anyway. Yeah, so I did also just want to mention that this is another book with like just a bunch of good duels, and I really love a good duel. Like Alana never loses them, so there's not a lot of suspense, but I just really enjoy watching her beat everyone with fun. swords. Yeah, they're still fun to, to read. There's one duel I'm really excited to talk about when we get to animal friendship, probably. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's continue. <laughs> Let's move on to our next segment, which is Run the Dominion Jewels, and let's talk about plot and world building. There was so much. So much world building. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was delightful. A lot of it I really, really enjoyed. And we should talk mm-hmm. about every single thing. Well, first, we can, can I it. just say, I know what the Dominion Jewel is now. Yay! So I know what I made the pun about. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't really understand yeah. if it does anything or not. I think it might just be a symbol. I mean, it's like a Fisher King situation where it, well, it's, I don't know, it's maybe not explored as much. This book is a little vague about what Mm -hmm. it is, but my understanding of it is that, you know, if you have a good natural leader who possesses the jewel, it ties them to the land in a way that, you know, magically improves the land or keeps the people safe or, you know, it, it allows the leader to control the land to some extent. It so, also mentioned you know, returning have. life to dead babies when they were describing what it did initially. Yeah, that was pretty wild. <laughs> I mean, I think that was only if the person who's using the jewel has the gift. Oh, yeah, it was definitely an only right. the gift thing. There, it's definitely, uh, yeah, more powerful in the hands of an actual mage versus, mm-hmm. but it can be used by it's anyone. It's kind of unethical to not just hand that to every mage if it brings babies back to life. Well, no, I mean, it has to be controlled by a natural leader of a land, so it's not like you can just pass it around. Then natural leaders of the land should all have the gift, and they should pass it around to each other because it literally brings children to life. I don't think that's how it works. And also, the second you're just all about necromancy, you're getting into some (laughs) slightly shady territory. Necromancers are just doctors who don't give up. I stole that from the internet. Anyway... Oh, so I didn't want to just correct myself from the past. My uh, What I said on the previous podcast is that the Dominion Jewel kind of confers divine right to rule, which is not actually true in that we know that tyrants and, like, bad people can have the do- Dominion Jewel and use it negatively. But also we explicitly do know that John has the divine right to rule. So, like, <laughs> still got that. Still got, you know narrative weight of the gods behind John as a good king. I mean, there is I feel like the 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 jewel itself kind of is how do I explain? You know, whoever uses it, the results of that are kind of because of them. And mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Like the gods perhaps have less to do with that bit of it. Like, you know, Alana tried to give the jewel to Thayette 
and like the jewels started lighting up, <laughs> proving that, that was great. Thayette is obviously talented, wonderful, and wonderful and strong. <laughs> um, but she Perfect. didn't take it. I think kind of showing that just because you have like strong will and like can use the jewel doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that, right, clearly the jewel is more of just a, a tool. It only works for natural leaders, but the leaders can be bad, they can be noble, they can be common, you know, it, the, the jewel doesn't really discriminate in terms of who uses it, and it doesn't control who uses it, but uh, John is clearly considered a, a quote-unquote natural leader because he can use the jewel, and then separately... There are some pretty clear indications in this book and previous books that he is chosen by the gods. And also, they specifically mention in this book, the rogues talk about the fact that, um, that di royal dynasties are given divine right to rule by the gods, which has, like, wild implications. <laughs> that divine right oh, to yeah, rule totally is true. real in this universe. Yeah. Yeah, they do talk a lot about divine right, though, just in general, so it, I don't know. Which, relatedly, I thought it was really interesting that Roger, who, I mean, to be fair, is also royal and next in line for the throne again <laughs> in this book, because they just forgave him for everything. Because he's good now. He's, there's kind of like, there's no evidence that of, he's bad. She kills only the murder <laughs> no part. No evidence. <laughs> It kind of, like, it almost makes me think he's, like, you know, Dr. Doofenshmirtz or something, where it's, like, <laughs> you know, he, like, well, he did try to take over everything, but, you know, he do he wasn't successful, so we'll just, like, keep him around. It's fine. <laughs> he's not, like, a big threat. What happened was he came back and they were, like, okay, if he's still alive, he had two things about them, and one of them was killing people, and the other one was a sick sense of fashion, so if he still has that fashion sense, we know the part of him that died was the murder half. <laughs> Except that he doesn't have the fashion he sense. Does? They mentioned that. No, they mentioned that he's like unkempt. Yeah, but he still has like an amazing robe. You can be unkempt and still have really good clothes. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> but anyway, back to my original point, which was Roger has a cool sort of motive, I guess, in this, which is that he mentions that he acknowledges that the gods are real and very powerful, but he doesn't worship them because, you know, they're not behind him. They They've you know, turn their face from him or whatever. So he hates them and he wants to destroy them, even while acknowledging that they're extremely powerful, which I think is that was cool. Neat. You know, that's that's something that you don't see. You know, I, I think a lot of the time you see um, in worlds where the gods are real, you know, atheists that don't really make sense because they just b don't believe in the gods, which doesn't make sense when there's, like, evidence for them. But I appreciate this alternative where... You recognize that the gods are real, but you're not religious because you hate the gods. Argument for, okay, argument for worlds where the gods are real and there is proof of that, and yet there are still atheists, in the real world, flat earthers exist. Oh, <laughs> I mean, you're you're not wait, wrong. I wrote down, like, when they mentioned the top of the world, I was like, is turtle like, flat earthers? <laughs> Like no, it's not flat. <laughs> but the world can't have a top if there's if it's a sphere. It's a, it's a mountain. It's, a, it's a, a figurative name for a mountain. It's a very tall mountain. <laughs> yeah, it that, took me a while to figure that out because usually they just say like the mountains, as in like we're gonna kill hill people in the mountains, which is a thing that happened also in this book. 
No, there's, so there's hill country, and then separately there's the roof of the world, which is a very tall mountain range. Okay. Which, okay, but, but we do need to get into the fact that it's not on the map. There's a map <laughs> in this book, and then half of, like, two-thirds of the action in the book takes place off the map. Oh, I don't have the map. Which, oh, you don't have yeah. the map? My book has a there map. There isn't a map in your um, book? Uh, I have the four, the four. Oh, it doesn't even at the beginning? Uh, no, oh, no. Yes. What a world. Right, we all have the same map, and it's the map that's printed in all four Alana books. And I think also, I, th- I think it's the same map that you get in Kel and maybe Dane, I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't have most of the action in this book. Which is, you know, in some ways interesting, I think, because, you know, it's a map of Tortal, and Alana's sort of leaving Tortal and exploring new things. But also, I want a map. <laughs> Guys, Yeah. there is mm-hmm. a country called Tyra. Its border has water. Tyra Banks. Uh-huh. No! <laughs> okay. Fine, Amy. Fine. <laughs> I'm so mad. Uh... And, like, there's the Watergate later. The wa- Watergate already existed. Yeah, right. Tyra Banks was not, a, like, an intentional pun because this book came out in 1988. But there's a Watergate, and that was 1972? 1973? I don't know. Yeah, but also that's, like, a thing that exists yeah sure i just like i have some thoughts yeah and anyway, well, gus were you gonna say something about the map that no, was more you relevant? addressed it all <laughs> okay but i would like everyone to know that i side with abby on this there should be more map okay good i'm glad we agree Oh, I did appreciate just that they gave us a very detailed description of the layout of Chorus. That was nice. Mm-hmm. They didn't, you know, we don't have a map of Chorus, but now we know the geography of Chorus. That was nice. Anyway, yeah. Aurora, what was your thing? I did have a question about the map. Um, so, mm-hmm. in when she's talking, when Alana's talking to the innkeeper in Marin, uh, he mm-hmm. says that yeah. Marin and Tortal are cut out of the same cloth. But there's, like, two whole countries between Tortal and Marin. I don't understand. Yeah, well, they say, uh, he says Marin and Toussaint, mm-hmm. I think, and Tyra are all cut oh, out of the same cloth. I think it's Tyra that he mentions. Right, because Toussaint is just a little tiny country that's right between Marin and Tortal. Mm-hmm. I, True. Like, the reason that Tortal is so large is so clearly because it's an empire, and they j- and we'll talk about this later, but the fact that they don't, like acknowledge that is just ridiculous um going back to the dominion jewel for a bit um mm-hmm. there was when they were describing what the dominion jewel was there was a whole part where they were like condemning empires they were like some people use the dominion jewel to expand empires and i know that there hasn't been any talk of continuing to expand the Tortolan empire but just like in regards to it still being an empire yeah but they do they do mention that, you know, like, it would be bad if John was a weak ruler and the edges of Tortal, you know, defected. <laughs> and, like, the Dominion Jill can help avoid that, which does seem similar to the Empire thing. But let, let's save this for the imperialism section. <laughs> oh, yes. The imperialism <laughs> section. It's all imperialism section. <laughs> do we have any other uh, magic and world building stuff? I do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty early on, they mentioned... Um, the goddess on earth in the city of the gods which i thought was really interesting that there's like somebody who is the or acts as the like physical representative of the goddess who lives in the city of the gods i love that stuff i wish we like at some point get got to see her or would get to see her in the future 
Yeah, we get so many little interesting hints about the religion in these books, and I want to know more. When they were in the convent, and there was a woman dressed in the Mm -hmm. black habit of the hag. A hag priestess. Right, there was a a hag priestess. Amy, you don't know anything about the graveyard hag yet, but you will. But she's very exciting. We'll get there. Uh, You said the words hag, and I was in it. Yeah. You know that. I know we don't have to (laughs) sell you No, that's a good choice. Yeah, I just wanted to point out those two things as things I really liked as, like, religion stuff. Mm-hmm. I will, yeah, I also just want to briefly point out on a world-building note that the map Alana follows to get to the Dominion Jewel has Old Ones writing on it. The Old Ones, they were mentioned again. We still don't know anything about them, but they know about the Dominion Jewel, and they can read their writing. I just want to know everything about the Old, the old ones. ones. Who are they? What is it? Ah! Yeah. <laughs> They're here. Just, I really uh, wish that at some point she wanted to, like, delve into that, but I, I appreciate the hints. Yes, just any explanation, please. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Along a slightly, very tangential line, as in, not related to quite, like, maps and stuff, <laughs> but in terms of world building, I loved the all of the tidbits that we got about the Shang in this book, <laughs> that they, they exist, <laughs> that... They have cool names like griffins and unicorns. <laughs> and then in addition to teaching fighting, they all become very good cooks. <laughs> so yeah, good. That's, that's great. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really like the Shang. Um, there's some racial there's iffiness some about them that we'll probably get into. Yeah. But we'll get into I have it. some questions. I, I have a, one more thing to, sort, to mention just uh, related to magic and world building, which is I really like that a lot of magic that we've seen in previous books comes back here. Roger uses a mm. gate of Idram, which we saw the shaman in the last book use, and Eleni in the last mm-hmm. scene uses thread magic. And mm-hmm. also, before when Alana's gearing up to go out into the snowstorm to get the Dominion Jewel, she's, like, putting all her warm clothes on, and she uses a word of command to, like tie the warmth to her clothes and she does it so casually when it was such a huge deal that uh. tom did that two books ago and that yeah. it just she's so powerful and awesome i love her mm-hmm. yeah so that's all i had to say about that but it's cool that there's like a continuity of all these different types of magic while we're in the world world building mm-hmm. section um we should probably just like obviously we touched on this with, with when we were talking about the map but we went to like a whole other country we went to two whole other countries we hadn't seen before yeah it started out in in marin and then we went to Serene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we learned about the Khmer, and we learned all about, like, like the Saren and, like, Fayette's, like, family, and, like, her whole backstory with oh, her mom and everything. Cool. And, like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. I love Fayette so much. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about that more, but all her <laughs> stuff is so good. And I, I still can't, I can't believe that Serene, the country, is just not on this map it's at all. egregious. Like, Say it's homeland. Well, I mean, it's so weird. They didn't go there because of the civil war. Also, no, they did go through oh, it. They, That's where they met. Yes, they right, yeah, yeah, yeah. They tried to avoid going through <laughs> they, it. They talked about avoiding but it, then and then they, they, they were just, just like, "No, it. we can fight an army." Alana didn't want to go on a boat. I love her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love her. And then she wound up going on. a She boat literally anyway. would rather fight a civil war, an army in civil war, than go on a boat. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, there's no proof that there wouldn't also be a civil war and army on the boat. Well, 
questionable. At least this way they're on land. We don't know because we don't have a map, <laughs> but you would think they would have to cross some amount of land to get to the top of a mountain range. Like, generally, you can't get straight to the top of a mountain range by boat. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's a rowboat. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Don't think that's quite how that works. Trust me. In earlier, yeah, in earlier episodes, I think in like the first book and stuff, we talked about how it seems kind of weird that there are people who are who are afraid of magic in a world where magic is yeah. common. Or and is a gift from the gods. And I liked that we got, like, some exploration of that in this book. And that there was, like, you know, we saw reasons for that and stuff. Yeah, no, I thought it was a really interesting and well-thought-out part mm-hmm. of Shang culture that they dislike magic. Although Alana did say, I've never met anyone That's who's true. afraid of magic before, when clearly Coram <laughs> is afraid of magic. Maybe uh-huh. less now than he was in the first book, but still. <laughs> Yeah, but Coram's one of her dads. He is. So, like, I don't think she would. And he's so supportive. I liked when um, she did all the magic, the big magic thing that she did, and uh, Liam, you know, the- where she held down the entire camp of people, and Liam was all mad about it and was like, I don't want you to ride with me. And But Coram, like, still, like, took her up on his horse, and it was, you know... Coram is also afraid of magic, but first and foremost, he is a supportive dad. (laughs) And he taught her to change a diaper, and it was very sweet. Oh, that was was so good. Yeah. Okay, Okay, we're getting into other stuff now, so let's move on to our next section. Oh, wait, very fast linguistics. I liked that the Khmer had their own language, unlike the Bazir. Very good. We'll probably get into that more, but it was good. I have two linguistics. Oh, you've got linguistics. Yeah, I also have one, too. (laughs) Well, I technically have three linguistics. Two of them are very fast. <laughs> of course we do. First one. What are the swear words, Tamora Pierce? <laughs> what are the turtle swears? <laughs> Second. <laughs> I like that Liam used Shang Masters as like a, a curse or like an expression. <laughs> like, do they have like a, their own worship system? I don't know. Cool. We'll yeah. Get... And cool. sometimes yes, Alana says things on. related to gods, but other times it just says Alana swore. So what are the swear words, Tamora? <laughs> Secondly, fruit juice. Tamora Pierce never names a fruit, <laughs> but everyone just asks for fruit or asks for fruit juice. But no one ever names a single fruit. There is a lot of ambiguous fruit <laughs> in these books. Yes. So my question is, do people look at fruits as one sem- like semantic category? And there are different species of fruits, but the thing is called fruit <laughs> So like, or do they just have different fruits that like we don't know the names of? Like because it's a fantasy world, do they literally not no, have but the they same all fruit? Call as it us? fruit. Like no one says the names yeah, of it, I and know, Alana will specifically order fruit juice. So like, do different languages have different like typical fruits that they do as the first fruit that they think of? For example, when I say fruit, you're probably thinking about an apple because we're all Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe somewhere else they don't think of apples first. I haven't done any research on this. What are the main <laughs> fruits that people think of? about when they think of fruit, which is all one thing. You should address <laughs> this on more research required. <laughs> yes. Crossover. Yeah, no, I, I think that this, this is, linguistics is getting less long, but maybe we can move it to our other podcast. Okay, cool. And <laughs> Or less fast. Third, okay, translating the map. It took this guy like two seconds to do it, which makes me think he has seen this exact phrase before by the old ones and is just like reading it off the top of his head. It does. It seems like at least that he's probably like fluent in old one language, or right has seen very similar stuff. Like he's he's like a real expert on old one language, which like 
It was very exciting. What do they know about the old ones? Yeah, also it's a dead language, so translation is going to be more difficult Mm -hmm. because, like, it doesn't exist alongside the language that is being spoken today, probably. Like, those two languages probably didn't exist Mm -hmm. at the same time, which means translation is less likely to have, like, sort of one-to-one terms. So how did he do it that fast? I mean, I I will say that being able to translate, you know, an ancient map or book very quickly is a common adventure story trope. I know. That does not hold up linguistics. Maybe he has linguistics magic. Yeah. Okay. Okay, those are my things. Okay, Aurora. Very fast linguistics, go. Okay, so, Liam, (laughs) when um, Alana describes uh, his accent... She says that he has broad vowels and nearly skipped R's. So, presuming that common is like this weird parallel to English, is Liam from New York? Uh huh. Just a question. Oh, I thought he was Liam Ironarm. <laughs> like, I thought he was a good southern boy. <laughs> Pictured him as a no, little cowpoke. I mean, do- dropped R's is a, is a bit more of like a New England thing. Uh, Although it does seem like, you know, he could be a good country boy. No, but at some point he's <laughs> like something about like, your mama tell you that? Or like something like that? Just like something that a good southern gentleman would say. Give me a sec, because I have like a notation for this. <laughs> So we're doing pretty well on very fast linguistics so far, but it's getting less fast. <laughs> Didn't your mama teach you to be nice to, to polite to strangers on the road? Oh my god. That's not something a New Yorker says. Yeah, that's a no, southern gentleman. Or like a Bostoner. Liam Iron Arms is a southern martial artist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a white southerner who just does karate. <laughs> Liam Darkness of Dementia Raven Iron Arm is a southern boy. <laughs> With beautiful color-changing eyes. This is totally off-topic for this section, but I just want to acknowledge that, like, as of this book, Alana's three love interests are the king of a giant country, (laughs) the king of thieves in that country, and the best fighter in the world who also has beautiful (laughs) color-changing eyes. The only person who has more fantasy eyes than her. Yes. (laughs) The Shang dragon, and also the lion and the dragon. Pretty good. It's pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah. Pretty good. Too bad Liam's like that. Okay, I feel like... Wait, Aurora, are you done with very fast linguistics? Hmm? Are you done with linguistics, or do you have... Thing. I'm never done with linguistics. Um. <laughs> Fair. Can I say one linguistics thing, and then can we not discuss it <gasps> Gus, and move on? you've been corrupted. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> My linguistics thing is they mentioned October. They have our months. <laughs> You're so right. What is up with that? Rome didn't exist. (laughs) They don't have Latin. I know this is on the same scale as, like, they use our words for everything, but months. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty wild. I also, I did notice the mention of Beltane, which is, like, a real holiday in the real world that, like, Celtic people celebrate. Mm -hmm. But But it seems less out of place. Right, it it seems like a fantasy thing, whereas October does not so much. (laughs) Wait, I think in later books they have fancy month names. Wait, we'll we'll keep an eye on this for the future, but let's move on. on. Moving on. Month watch. Uh, so let, let's get into Social Justice Corner, and specifically, let's start with feminism. <sighs> hey, folks, um, Alana had some, like, romantic and sexual encounters that were, like, pretty solidly consensual and not super yeah. icky. true. I'm so happy for her. If you, if you ignore all the other books, I actually am, like, capable of shipping her and George in this book. Yeah. Right, like, nice. if I forget what happened in the second book, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> okay, Aurora made a noise. Okay, Aurora I mean, doesn't agree with us, but that's okay. We're allowed to have conflicting opinions. I mean, George is arguably kind of better in this book. But He's like fine. And I think they're the way that their relationship was balanced has kind of shifted. Um, so like if mm-hmm. you look at the last bit when she says that she'll marry him, he keeps saying things like, I've tamed myself a lioness and are you okay with having oh, yeah, that was gross. And then our children? And I'm like, Ugh. Yeah, that last But page. then she kind of she pushes back and she's like, haha, tamed. Nuh uh. And, you know, she's like, Of course I'm not gonna settle down. That's silly, but you can come with me. And so I feel like, you know, before when it was there was this really uneven power dynamic between the two of them, mm-hmm. um, that is shifted mm-hmm. and he seems like in the way that he corrected himself when he was like, Will you bear my I mean our children that he's maybe coming into a place where he will view her as more of an equal, which is good and healthier, but it still wasn't. Right. I mean, I think that, um, that all the boys, all the love interests in this book were still kind of, you know, gross and patriarchal and patronizing. Oh Oh my God, Liam's so patronizing. Oh God. But right. What, what makes it better is that Alana's not just going to sit there and take that, you know? And I think that George is the most, like amenable to actually sort of being a partnership and stuff. I don't love that the book ended with them getting engaged, but you know, you know, there was a fun line um about Liam where Alana's like, "Were were Liam and Faithful in a plot to make her feel young and ignorant?" Uh, yes, yeah. probably. I mean, they might not. No, Liam is so much like the the dirtbag older guy who wants to date a teenager because she's like you know, young and malleable and will bow to his wisdom, and then when she doesn't, he gets annoyed about it. Uh-huh. She is, like, 20, but yes. The first page where he showed up and called her kitten, I was just like, she is a goddamn lioness. Like, He calls down. her a little girl. <laughs> yeah. And then he dates her. <laughs> yeah, like, it's messed up, and I do hate it. And mm-hmm. I was, like, just hoping from the beginning that he would turn out to be a villain and she would stab him and be, like, <laughs> something about cats and claws or something. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh-huh. Like, Liam's whole attitude is bad. I do appreciate that... Um, she's clearly and obviously into him, which is so not true of John and George for most of their, the time that they're in a relationship. And they also sort of use language, they mention at one point, the, like, they say they kissed rather than, even in this book, with George, we mostly get, like, you know, Alana was lifted up and thoroughly kissed. Like, she doesn't do anything, it just happened to her, but she and Liam are clearly mutually into each other, which is nice. It does, like, worry me, though, that Alana finally gets some agency in her, like, sexual interactions in this book when it there is very early on, like, and we're gonna have to do another trigger warning for this episode, sorry, but, like, yeah. th- very early on, there's a scene where, like, a bunch of soldiers do, like, try to rape her. Oh, like, yeah. Like, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I... I just, like, I want to read through these books without, like, thinking about sexual violence, you know? Like, yeah. I Is that too much to ask? <laughs> is that ridiculous? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is unfortunate to see a female character, you know, a very powerful warrior of a female character lose a fight and immediately become a victim of sexual violence like that she immediately has to be sexualized yeah um 
that's unfortunate. But at least it's treated as a negative in this book. <laughs> oh like, that's a bad yeah. thing that would have happened to her. Our standards <laughs> are so low. They're low. So true. I'm so grateful. <laughs> Thanks, T. Pierce. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Like, I just. Yeah, and I also don't love, like, Liam saving her from that encounter. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she didn't even get to do. Like, she didn't even get to fight them off herself. It has to be a place where a older man ends up putting himself further in her favor, her favor by saving her from a threat that she cannot defeat because of her, like, specific situation well, as someone who they is did not a say. They did say afterwards, like, you know, Liam said something like, you probably had it. I just speeded it up. And she was like, yeah. So, I mean, maybe if he hadn't shown up, it would have been fine. But in the situation, it was definitely very much like, she's helpless and about to be raped. And then Liam shows up. Well, yes. And also, like, that's what happened in the book is what was made to happen. You know? like Right. right. That was the purpose of that scene. Yeah. Was to make it so that she is ingratiated to Liam for fighting off a kind of violence that women are not allowed to fight off in books. So, because it's always, like, a, a man comes in and like beats mm-hmm. up a, an attempted rapist and it's not a good trope nope bad trope yeah we found a bad trope cold star then she beat him with a sword <laughs> and then she beat him yes with a sword. she did beat him with a sword she beats everyone with swords <laughs> she meant i liked uh when she, when she beats Liam with a sword, he asks, "Are you the best in Tortal?" And she says, um, "You know, I still lose to to Duke Gareth pretty often." And also, Alex of Tyrion beat me one time, implying that he's the only other person who's ever beat her. <laughs> oh, also, she said, like, I, "Well, I don't fight the peasants. There could be a stronger peasant than me." Like, and I just well, she said commoners, but yeah. okay, sorry, I just peasant. I'm quoting off the top of my head, but that's that's great. I love that. Mm-hmm. Although, also, she definitely did, you know, when she was a squire, she did train with commoners, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she hasn't fought all of them. She has not fought. She hasn't fought every commoner who's good with a sword, and she acknowledges that. <laughs> There's no proof that she's the best, but she is the best of everyone she's fought ever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, um, yeah, I have more, like, there's so much more that we could say about Liam being a creep, but maybe let's move on from that, unless anyone has anything really pressing. Ah, this is, like, Liam tangential, but, you know, when she first meets him, um, I was, like, initially amused and then very saddened by her little, like, she didn't know how to deal with, like, she saw him, she was interested in him, and then she's like, how do I flirt? And she's like, I can't find a (laughs) handkerchief. What do I do? And I was so sad that she had, that she'd never had that amount of agency in a relationship before. Right, um, definitely. Yeah, and um, I when they, in that scene, they had her mention, you know, well, George flirted with me, and it made me uncomfortable, and I ordered him to stop, which is what happened, but then she leaves off the fact that he didn't stop and then did sexually assault her. Ugh. Yeah, that's... Yeah. That was very bad. Also, like, at one point, I think that it's said in the narrative, like, Alana didn't really understand how to talk to men or, like, didn't really, like, like to talk to yeah, men. Yeah, I think you're much. talking about the same part. Oh, yeah. But it's, like, 
her whole life is men. The way that that's framed in the narrative is like there are always mm. men around her, but she never gets to like be in control in that situation. And that's really sad. You're right. Like there is something really upsetting about that. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's somewhat treated as, you know, she's she's so much one of the boys or whatever that she she's never, I guess, dealt with men, figured out how to deal with men in a romantic context. But it is very much like she's had romance. She just hasn't had agency in that romance, which sucks. Yeah. Hey, folks, remember when sorry, this is just only tangential to like Liam is kind of a jerk. (laughs) <laughs> remember when alana put on a dress and liam got really freaked out uh, about it the worst. Yeah. i will note that a thing i liked about george in this book is that mm-hmm. she had like some vision of him or something i don't really remember but he had a little miniature painted of her that he was looking yeah. at and it was her in armor oh because he loves her as a warrior yeah. it's good I like it when she she decides that she can be, you know, both woman and warrior. It's, you know, ridiculous to frame that as a dichotomy, but at some there's a point where Faithful says, you know, you want to be a woman and also a warrior, make up your mind. And she says, I'm great at doing both, excuse you. <laughs> and like, yeah, tell that cat. That's great. <laughs> but there's a point where, or there's a few points, I think, where Liam sort of asks her, like, have you ever thought about getting married? Don't you want to have kids? You can be both woman and warrior, you know? And in that context, I hate it because, you know, I want her to choose that, but when other people tell her, like, you have to be more of a woman, that's really frustrating. Mm -hmm. Everyone gets so freaked out by Alana's gender presentation all the time. (laughs) They All the time. No matter what she does, someone's freaked out about it. I will say, most of the people who tell her to be more or less feminine do die. So that's good. <laughs> True. Right, well, and the good John ones, didn't. But John didn't. Yeah, but. yeah, that's unfortunate. But like all the good people that we like are, you know, into it. Like, you know, um, Burry and and Thea and Coram like all applaud when she so- shows up in her dress. Mm-hmm. And then Thea designs her a beautiful outfit that's not female or male yeah. fancy dress. I love it so much. It gave me so many oh, feelings. It's so good. I love And that. Miles got her earring. Yeah. I love Miles. I love Miles. And when Alana got her haircut, it was like only George and Burry weren't like super like dismayed, which yeah. okay, everybody else can like right. you know Yeah. Whatever. Shut up. But like good job, George and Burry. Burry is both. literally the Burry's best character the best. ever. <laughs> <laughs> does Barry make more friends after this? Yes. She sure does. Good. Don't worry. Okay. Barry is so good. So yeah, I guess let's move on from talking about like romance stuff, I guess, and can we talk about Burry and Thayet and just yes. how they're the best ever? And I mean, I, this is, you know, this is the reason that, I mean, I don't know if it's the one and only reason that Tamara Pierce hits her stride here, but that she, you know, she introduces these two wonderful amazing perfect female characters who are totally different in their womanhood from alana but are still you know capable and relevant and have rich internal lives and you know are like down to adventure it's great they're so different from each other and they're so different from anyone we've met before and they're best friends they're so good and they're both such good friends with alana and they all learn so much from each other oh man i'm crying I love them so much. I'm so happy that I got to this point. Oh, they're so good. Right, you know, Thayet's super beautiful and wears dresses, and Alana wears dresses some of the time, but sometimes she wears her own thing that's different, and then Burry is always wearing, like, you know, the, the like, Khmer dress of leggings and, and whatever, and, 
ah, they're just all, they present differently, but they're all supportive of each other. Um, Mm -hmm. but right, I also, uh, the, the feminism gets better, you know? It's only been five years, I think, something like that, since the first, the first book in the Mm -hmm. series was published, but we talked in the last episode about how, you know, Alana so often is the exception, like, she's doing all this stuff that other women can't do, and she's shown as different from other women, but in the, you know, Thayet is such a good feminist, like, she doesn't want to just be different herself, she wants to change the whole world and bring every woman with her. <laughs> she wants, doesn't she want to, like, open a school? She like... does, yeah, she wants to open a school, she wants women to be able to fight, like, all women, you, you know, she said something about, like, we nobles shouldn't leave it to our Shang and Kamiri sisters. She's the best. I'm so glad that, like, She's so on good. the one hand, the fact that she married John is deeply upsetting to me, but on the other oh, hand... Oh, yeah, she's too good for him. Oh, wait. Like, she is positioning herself in a great place to do all this stuff that she wants to do by marrying this bland, terrible man. <laughs> I really do appreciate that they showed up in the, uh, she showed up, you know, at the, where Alana was in the last scene, or towards the end, and, you know, asked for her permission to marry John, which was great, because uh, she prioritizes her friendship with Alana over her relationship with John. Um, yeah. But also, like, the Alana gives her okay, and then Thayet immediately launches into talking about all the changes she wants to make in Torton. <laughs> Yeah, like, not about John, just no. the things that she's going to do, which is great. <laughs> and she really, like, she will take none of John's, uh, oh, I don't know how to say that with not a bad word. She's crap. <laughs> um, Nonsense. Pop yes. Nonsense. Yeah, and, like, of course, that should not have to fall on her. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But it's... Right, no, they do repe- repeatedly sort of talk about it. their relationship as, like, you know, she'll stand up to him. She won't, yeah, like, let him be too much of a prig is a thing that I think they say. <laughs> Which, like, that's uh-huh. not what a relationship should be. But I'm no. really glad that Thayet is co-ruling this country. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like how we're, like, nominally, like, we've said things that are, like, you know, maybe monarchy isn't great. But then we're also just, like, Thayet is great and also should be the ca- the queen of, like, everywhere. <laughs> If there's gotta be yeah, monarchy, I mean the thing is the uh, the monarchy exists in this. Like Fayette is definitely a good first step to detransitioning from the monarchy, in that she is going to accomplish good things and enable people who are not monarchs to be able to make the kinds of decisions related to policy that they need by giving them a school and teaching them to fight and like just giving them the power to reach out for these resources. Right. She she wants women to have more of a voice and she wants to educate commoners. Like she's gonna do good things I for this her. monarchy. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Good. She's really Fayette's good. Queen. We we hear about so many cool women in this book, too. Like, we, I mean, obviously we have Alana and Burry and Thayet, who are all super great in different ways. But then we also get, like, um, you know, the various holders of the Dominion Jewel in the past, mm-hmm. who are all super mm-hmm. cool and, and, like, different. And, um, the you know, we get the Shang Unicorn and the Wildcat, and I love both of them yeah. a lot. <laughs> The Shang Unicorn, the only thing we know about her is that she is beautiful and very good at fighting. Yes. Yeah. And, and her super name is Kailea Aljama. And also, apparently, there's a short story about her. That's what the short story yeah. Student of Ostrich We're is gonna about. We're going to have to read that. Yeah, you need to read it. Okay. So let's uh, move on. We'll talk about 
queer stuff and race and imperialism next time. As well as friendship moments, even though we addressed a ton of that already. We have not nearly exhausted it. No. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, but now let's talk about uh, palace gossip. So I have an ask here um, from Phoenix Flight, which asks our thoughts on Miles' alcoholism and mentions that, you know, when he's first introduced, he is called the court's drunk. Uh, and later he mentions uh, something about quitting drinking, which I believe was actually in the previous book, A Woman Who Rides Like a Man. He mentions, you know, my daughter convinced me to uh, quit drinking, which is cute. Mm-hmm. And, but they said, I can't think of any scenes where he's supposed to be drunk, so I've always wondered why this detail is included. Uh, any thoughts on that? I don't remember super clearly. Wait, Amy, quit listening for a second. <laughs> okay. okay, bye guys, I miss you, love you. We know at this point that he's, like, the king's spy master, right? Or do we not know that? I don't think we know that. I think we do, do we? know... Well, okay. He's at least the pseudo-spy master because he does have an agent oh, yeah. in Marin. Yeah, Right, we know that he the has a keeper is his stuff. agent. Right. So he's at least a spy master in a kind of more unofficial capacity. Yeah. Um, and I think George will, you know, of course, later take on... Yeah, which I guess we get some indication yeah. of that in this book we as do. well. Um, but right, I, mm-hmm. I, I always wondered, especially by the time we get to Cal, if he's largely a drunk because it's a good cover for, like, noticing things without people thinking that he is. Uh-huh. But it, it is, um, it does seem clear in this that he does actually drink a lot. So that's an interesting, you know, I, I always, um, especially from the Cal books, read it mostly as a cover, but he does, he drinks a lot in these books, like, for real. Yeah, especially in the, um, Alana book, like, she's often helping him back to his mm-hmm. room. Hi. Hi. Hey, Amy. Hi, I missed you so much. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, partially, uh, the, the drunkenness might just be a thing about Alana and Miles bonding, you know, they, they first get sort of a close relationship as a page because she waits on him and helps him back to his room and stuff, and then later, you know, that's a thing that she does as his daughter is encourage him to stop drinking, which is really sweet. Right, that, so, mm-hmm. like, you know. the reason it might be in there as a character trait might be to, like, facilitate that relationship. Right, to just sort of be a a character detail about how, Mm -hmm. you know, they're bonding and Mm -hmm. helping each other out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it ever comes up later or is, like, even mentioned in later books, because I do know that Miles is in the first Kel book. Right. Because that's Alana's dad. (laughs) But, like, does anyone ever talk about it? Like, does anyone ever mention it, like... Oh, yeah, you're the drunk guy from the past, but now you're very wealthy and, like, doing good. I mean, he's been very wealthy the whole time. And, you know, clearly pretty sort of sharp and aware and into politics, you know. So it's not like his drunkenness has ever impeded him much, except for just generally in the way that alcoholism is not great for you on, like, a health level. Mm-hmm. But I do, like, I think he's still... I don't know. I mean, in Kel's time, he's like a history teacher, 
But I think he does, mm-hmm. does still maybe have a reputation as, like, the court drunk. I'm just interested in whether or not there is anything in it that is a story of, like, addiction and having been an addict, or if it is just there mm-hmm. to serve as a device for Alana and Miles to become closer, because I think that those are two very yeah, different things. Yeah, because I think, I think that is what the, I think that's what the ask is getting at. I'm sorry, what the yeah. letter is getting at. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, our missive, our epistles. <laughs> um, is that it's wondering whether it's given like a good amount of weight you know whether it's treated as a serious topic as opposed to just like what a fun quirk miles has yeah and like how easy it was for alana to make him stop doing that by showing him some support sometimes (laughs) i mean i do think that like this is total speculation but it could be something about she she sort of included it as like you know a quirk that makes him a fun character in in the first book when he and Alana bond and then she might have later thrown in in woman who rides like a man that Alana asked him to quit drinking or or helped him do that because she sort of realized that it was not a totally fun and light topic to throw in there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. which I I do think over the course you know even though these books started as one book over the course of them you can definitely see Tamara appear sort of becoming more aware of some stuff and i think a few things improving uh on some sort of like sensitive topics so i think it could be that yeah totally thank you for the letter thanks thank you and i have some other people we can thank maybe i'll do tumblr this episode and twitter next episode so we have some for both yeah (laughs) perfect (laughs) um okay so uh the Nights You Say book was live blogging <laughs> our podcast, which was super cool. It was so fun to read. Also, uh, Tom mm-hmm. Trebond did some of that, too. Really awesome. Both of you, thank you. Uh, and then also thanks to the following people for interacting with our Tumblr. Uh, Phoenix Flight, Weird Kid 20, Tom Trebond, Fairy Tale on Fire, Transcoranic, Incorrect Tortal Quotes, and Why Is It Follow the Spiders? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, thank you for talking <laughs> thank to you us. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you. If... Y- you, the listener, also want to be on that list, you can get in touch with us on Tumblr at tortalrecall.tumblr.com or on Twitter at tortalrecall. You can send us an email. Our email yeah. is tortalrecall at gmail.com. We also have a website. Yeah, our website is tortalrecall.com. <laughs> All of our things are just tortalrecall. <laughs> You're so good at branding, Abby. A lot of this was Gus. <laughs> Oh, you're so good at branding, Gus. Abby, you're terrible at branding. (laughs) Oh, thanks. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you can rate and review us on iTunes. You can listen to us pretty much anywhere. Podcasts are given away for free, not sold. (laughs) The podcast vendors. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's about it for this episode. Anything else? Um, No. Okay. <laughs> all right well um if that's everything aurora i know that you normally like to say the fun words bye turtle <laughs> <laughs> thank you aurora for falling on that sword so that we don't have to <laughs>